This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY giving. Tonight, turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Proverbs. Book of Proverbs, chapter 1 and chapter 2. We're actually going to launch out with a verse out of chapter 2. We're going to, we're going to open a study into the subject of wisdom. I know we've been in the book of Mark, specific, or Matthew, excuse me, uh, for well over a year. We've been engaged in a very long-term Bible study project known as Red Letter Studies that deal with the specific teachings of our Lord. And we are still in that study, okay? But this morning, the Spirit of the Lord led me right into Proverbs, did not even know why, had not been planning on going there. And then something came up at home early or later on in the morning that uh, directed my attention to right where we're going to begin tonight. Now we're going to share this verse and then we're going to jump back to chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 2 Verse 10 is where I want to start, or at least we'll open with this. He says, When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. Let me read that again. When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. And now the entire thought continues for several verses after that. It actually ends in verse 18. And be it the will of the Lord, we'll cover more of that tonight as we get further into our study. But it was this verse that leapt out at me out of nowhere, it's seemingly. And that happens a lot of times when you study the Word or you cognizant of the Spirit of God, He'll direct you to places. He'll lead you to verses of Scripture that will grab your attention and they'll strike you if you've read them a hundred times before. They'll grab you in a way they never have. And so it comes out as something completely new, even though it's familiar. That's something that happens with believers the world over in the study of the Word of God. This thing is alive and it is powerful and it is life-changing stuff. So, well, why are we opening a study in wisdom? Why are we... Uh, interrupting, one might say, interrupting uh, a lengthy series of studies on the teachings of Jesus to then go back into the Old Testament and pull up the book of Proverbs. Well, let's take our time with this, shall we? So let's just dig into it. Let's begin in chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. That is our introduction 
to the collected Proverbs that are contained in this book. Now, oftentimes people attribute all of them to King Solomon, and that's not necessarily the case. As you get towards the end of the book of Proverbs, there are some other collected Proverbs from other people, including a man I believe by the name of Lemuel. I don't remember if it was King Lemuel or not, but a man by the name of Lemuel. And those are very good Proverbs, out of which we derive Proverbs 31 which is like the prime model for godly women to begin fashioning their character and their, um, their routines and their conduct and behavior from. It's a wonderful chapter. Highly recommend it to any woman at all, married or single. Makes no difference. But the vast majority of the Proverbs were... They're attributed to King Solomon. They were either written down by him or compiled after the fact uh, by other people, scribes and so forth, that operated in the kingdom in those days. And they represent, let's say, they represent divine wisdom. Now, this isn't something that we've really tread into uh, hardly at all, I think, in the time that we've been here. We've talked about uh, many themes, many overarching themes that are found in the Word of God. We've talked about uh, obedience. We've talked about the human heart as a garden and, uh, and, and how to cultivate the right things and uh, godly virtues and so on that ought to be within us. But we haven't talked a whole lot about wisdom. We haven't talked a whole lot about knowledge as a topical study. And so maybe this is sort of a combination topical study and textual study right out of the book of Proverbs. But there's something, there is something in the Word of God that is promoted over and over and over and over again. And it occurs in the Old Testament and it occurs in the New Testament. You find it in the Gospels. You find it in the letters of the apostles sent out to the various churches and to various believers and ministers that were active in the church. You find it uh, throughout the Old Testament. There is a constantly recurring emphasis on the importance of knowledge and of wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom, And there are a fair number of believers that really aren't into either one of those things. They're really not. They, they come to a place in their relationship with God where they reach a comfort zone and they get comfortable and like, okay, well, this is where I am in God and this is, this is where I'm happy and I don't want to progress any further because there's part of them that fear that to progress any further and to advance any further in knowledge, to advance any further in our understanding of the Word. That's the other thing. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding. Those three should all come bundled up together like a three-pack, if you will, whatever that would be. I don't know what comes in threes. But they really ought to come together or come along with one another and develop and grow concurrently in our lives. Amen? Wisdom, knowledge, understanding. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding. And where we find a lot of it, at least around here in, our, in the preaching and teaching, is we find it in the New Testament. We find it a lot in the writings of Paul, who speaks of growing in the grace and in the knowledge of God. Growing in the grace and knowledge of God. Well, well, why is it important to grow in the grace and knowledge of God? Well, because it's important to grow in anything that's good. And that's, that, that's been a metaphor that's come up a lot of times too. We're born into this world as infants, Praise God, I'm sure our mothers are grateful for that. It'd be kind of rough to come out as an adult. 
but we're born small, knowing little to nothing, and then we grow both in body, we grow in mind, we grow in maturity and experience and wisdom as far as wisdom of the world is concerned. Well, why would it be any different in the Christian life? Why would it be any different at all in the Christian life? We start out small, right? Knowing little to nothing only. We come to realize if so be we've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord. Then we come in knowing that God is good, that God is love, that God loves us, that Jesus is His Son who died for our sins to pay the price for them all. So it wasn't merely a forgiving of sins. It was that Jesus bought and paid for them and thereby we were able to be forgiven. And so on, but then we grow from there. We grow in grace, we grow in knowledge, we grow in understanding. And the more that we do this, the more we seek the will of God and His Word, the more we seek His presence in our lives and His influence in our lives, which we ought to do. Because what do we know in light of eternity? Very, very little. Whereas God who made eternity, the universe and everything that is in it, well, God and God only has the God's eye view. And so that's one of the reasons why we trust him. That's one of the reasons why we seek his guidance and his leadership. And we do not presume to know better than he does. And so let's continue on in Proverbs 1. We want to continue growing in grace and in knowledge. Because as we said, when your, your understanding increases... Then the lights come on in your mind and then things begin to make sense. And, and part of this manifested even earlier in the, in the, in our satellite Bible study that we had earlier today over at Whispering Chase when we were over in Matthew chapter five, talking about obedience without understanding and obedience with understanding and how those how those work in a person's life and how God blesses with understanding a lot of times after the fact when we have established, when He has established in us, excuse me, a character of obedience to begin with, just like any parent raising their children. But I don't want to jump back into that because that's a whole different study and that, that took the whole half hour that, that we were in. So let's pick it up in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, let's pay close attention to this. Now, this is, uh, I don't know if Proverbs has been called the book of James of the Old Testament, but the book of James has been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. So, but fear not. Fear not. We had a Bible study in James uh, about two and a half, almost three years ago, and it plowed all our fields. We were replacing these windows at the time and it was, uh, it was very challenging, but in a good way. In a good way. He says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instructions. Well, that's a declaration right there. He says the fear of the let's let's examine that in both of its parts. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge doesn't even begin. Not the kind that's going to preserve your soul. That knowledge does not begin until we come to possess and exhibit a healthy, and I do mean a healthy, fear of the Lord. Now I have to qualify that word because it's not a word that people like to associate with their spiritual walk and it's one that's easy to understand. He is not speaking of a terror of the Lord, although that does also apply. When you realize, when we as humans realize that 
God is bigger than you and God is bigger than me. And that to to resist him and to oppose him and to engage in opposition with him or in conflict with him is always a losing that is a losing proposition, certainly in the long term and quite often even in the short term. When we realize that he is not someone we should be contending with, he is someone we should be. Well, first of all, ensure that we're on his good side. I'm not trying to make him out to be a terrifying power, though he is. But in this day of grace, there's much more of an emphasis on how he is a God of love. And yes, he is that also. How he is merciful and he is compassionate and he is long-suffering. And yes, he is all of these things. So I don't want to, I don't want to misrepresent him as being all one way or all the other way. If you've ever raised kids, or if you're in the process of raising kids, you are capable of being both tyrant and merciful parent. Amen? You're capable of being both. You're capable of being either or. You're capable of being the tyrant when it's time to rain down judgment, so to speak, which is to say it's time to deal with something your kid did wrong, you know, and whether, however you do that in your parenting, whether it's breaking out the paddle or the belt or the wooden spoon or your bare hand or sitting them down and subjecting them to a soul crushing lecture for 20 or 30 minutes, you know, it's whatever actually works on your kid. And I'm not suggesting that we break the law or anything like that, not advocating for abuse at all. But the point is, you are capable of being the, you are capable of being the judge and you are capable of being the loving and the forgiving, supporting and healing parent. You're capable of being them both. So is our God. So is our God very much. And He is a terrible God as far as terrifying. He is a, He is a terrible God and He is a terrible judge. And in the time appointed when God will judge the world and the nations and the human race and every one of us as individuals, then that will be, that will be manifest in a way more profoundly than it has ever been since the flood of Noah. But he is also a wise and a loving father. Well, so, well, which is he to which? Well, that all depends on us, doesn't it? That depends on us. If we are believers, and which is to say born-again Christians, and we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and accepted Him for ourselves, if we have done that, and He has taken us, he, and he, he has, if we have believed on Him, He's taken us into His fold, and we are now His children, well then to us, He will not be the terrible judge. To us, He will be the Father. He is already. And there's a judgment that's still to come even as far as that's concerned, but it's not a judgment unto damnation versus salvation. And Paul the Apostle talks about that at great, at great length over in, in his letters to the church in Corinth, if I remember correctly. But to us, he's a father. And if a father, then he deals with us as he deals with sons and daughters. And not the way that you're... If, if you were... If you were unfortunate enough, if I may use that word, if you were unfortunate enough to have a horrible drunken father that beat you and mom or whatever, he doesn't deal with us like that. God is the good father. He is not the drunken abusive father. He is not the one that drank the paycheck and then doesn't have money left to buy food to provide for. But not that I want to get lost in all of that. The fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of knowledge. And typically that word fear, when we find it in, in Old Testament references, is a reference to a right and a healthy reverence for Almighty God. So when we use a phrase like holy fear, it's the same kind of fear that you ought to had that, that you ought to have had for your father if your father was indeed a stern but good and wise and loving parent. You knew better than to cross dad. Amen. And I don't usually ask for hands, but raise your hand if you had a dad like that. If you had a dad like that, and you were like, "I love dad, and I know dad loves me," but there's things I do not dare do because I know what will happen. I know what my dad will do if I do them, and I don't want to be on the receiving end of that, mother or father, however that was. So that's the very beginning of knowledge. But he says right after that, fools despise wisdom. It's fools that despise wisdom and instruction. Now, let's, you know, I know we launched off in Proverbs chapter 2 with verse 10, okay? But let's park on this for a few minutes because, again, by the grace of God, we have the time. That's why we have Bible studies. You know, in church services and worship services, we tend to focus much more on the what, but it's in the Bible studies that we get to dig down into the why. Behind the what? Does that make sense? We get into the guts of it and the details of it and bring it up to the surface. And then that imparts wisdom and it imparts understanding as we are open to the Holy Spirit and He's able to speak to us and shine a light on our understanding. So He says, all right, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Okay, got it. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Why would anyone despise either one of those things? Why would anyone despise wisdom? And why would anyone despise instruction? Well, lots of people despise wisdom because in the mind of a fool, okay, wisdom changes things. Wisdom enlightens our understanding. Wisdom shows us the right way to go when we may be having tons of fun just being blissfully ignorant, right? So, well, I don't know any better. Oh, what I don't know won't hurt me. That's what I'm always told. Ignorance is bliss. I must be the happiest man in the world. It's like, that's not ideal at all. And I'm being very delicate in my language and how I put that. You know, not ideal, really. Well, Have you seen the lives of fools and what I mean by fools is people that do not learn. These are the people that make the same mistakes over and over and over again. They make the same bad judgment calls over and over and over again. That friend that you've, that friend you have that's been divorced five times, five times, and you on the outside looking in, you're like, don't they understand? They keep getting into, they keep getting divorces because they keep having bad marriages. They keep having bad marriages because they keep choosing wrong mates. They keep choosing broken people that are always looking for fixers and so they consume all of that person's resources. That's just one example. There's so many others that could be, that could be used in, in describing such a person as that. What is it that makes a fool a fool? The fact that a person 
never learns. So there's an old secular proverb. We shared this before. It's very popular, I think. It comes and goes in terms of uh, popularity. but there, And it sounds really good, too. People hear this and like, ooh, that sounds deep. That sounds true. It sounds right. But it's not entirely true, okay? The proverb goes like this. Experience is the best teacher or the best instructor, but a fool will learn no other way. Now, that's the secular proverb. That doesn't come out of the Bible, but it's a very popular one, and there's a lot of merit to it, okay? Ooh, that sounds good. Uh, experience is the best teacher. Well, we know that because that's how we learn some of our best lessons is by going through and doing something usually wrong and then it backfires and then we learn. Okay, um, got it. Like when you first learned to bicycle, how to ride a bicycle without the training wheels and you fell over. Okay, you learned the hard way. Uh, I need to keep some speed and some momentum and that'll help me keep my balance and it all works together. But it's not an entirely true proverb. It really isn't an entirely true proverb because even if a person only learns by experience, even if a person only learns the hard way, even if the only way that a person not learns not to get burned is by actually sticking their hand in the fire, so to speak, at least they still learn, right? That is not a fool. Now that person might be a bit dense, and we've been that way, haven't we? There's been things that you've had to learn the hard way. There's things that I've had to learn the hard way. You get hit across the head with the two by four of, of hard knocks and life experience. That's a very real thing. But you still learned. You were no fool. But the person that you see going through the same experience over and over again and getting burned by the same fire over and over again and just getting hammered and they never learn and they go right back into it again. That is the fool. Because they just don't learn. Or at best, they learn, they learn the wrong lesson from it. They don't learn the lesson, they don't learn the lesson that says, don't do this because it's destroying you. They learn the lesson, don't do this because you're going to get in trouble. Or they learn, well, if you do it, you just have to be more careful so you don't get caught. That's a, you know, those are the wrong lessons to learn, right? Well, I learned how to be a great shoplifter because I learned how to not to get caught. But the, you learn the wrong lessons. The lesson to learn is don't be a shoplifter. Don't be a thief. Don't live a dishonest life. Don't be ungodly. So he says... Fools despise wisdom, and they also despise instruction. Have you ever known anybody that you just couldn't tell anything? You couldn't teach them a crying thing. No matter how hard you tried, no matter how delicately you tried, no matter how forthrightly you tried, because it all depends on people's personality types and how they react and all that other stuff. Maturity comes in on some of that stuff as well. But they despised instruction. They despised it. Welcome to the mind of a teenager. Many teenage. Now I'm not saying teenagers are fools. I'm saying teenagers are teenagers. Okay, because it's a transit. It's a very transitory time, right? You enter it about the age of 13, and you're supposed to leave it after you hit 20. <laughs> Hopefully sooner. All right. <laughs> but have you ever tried to teach a teenager anything, and they just did not want to listen? Well, why? Because a lot of times they think they already know it all. There are a lot of adults that are the same way. And you find them all through their 30s and even into their 40s a lot of times. It's not something that's just limited to, uh, to a very narrow window of experience. It, that window gets wider with every generation. Did you know that? Because we live in a rich, wealthy, prosperous nation 
filled with opportunities and all kinds of safety nets unless you, well, unless certain things, but I'm not going to go down that, that trail tonight. That's not part of our teaching. What's the lesson there? It's fools that despise wisdom. And it's fools that despise instruction. When someone reaches out to teach, to help, to instruct, say, hey, maybe you don't want to do this that way because this might happen or these five or six things might happen and none of them are good. Okay? Because it's a... It, forgive me, Reverend Ryder. I'm stuck on that phrase. True fact. It's a true fact as opposed to a false fact. It's a true fact that there's a right way to do something and there are a lot of wrong ways to do something. And sometimes there's more than one right way. Sometimes there's more than one right way to do something, but usually there's a lot fewer right ways than there are wrong ways. As believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as members of the body of Christ, we don't want to be fools. We don't want to despise wisdom. And we don't want to despise instruction. The whole governmental structure of a church Okay, that God established in the Word of God in the New Testament where he talked about how God hath given some preachers, teachers, pastors, evangelists, apostles are in there as well, prophets. And he lists, he lists all these biblically ordained ministries that God has given and set up within the whole body of Christ across the various churches. He's, it's there for a reason. So that there can be instruction and guidance. We're not a leaderless church. And praise God for that. And neither does it stop here with me. It's not that I'm just standing up here, well, look at me on the head honcho. Forget that. I got people I answer to. I have ministers above me that I consult when needed. People that are wiser than I am. People that know more than I do. People that have been through more than I have and they instruct me when I need instruction, when I seek instruction. I don't want to be the type of person that despises instruction. So why are we bringing all this up? Well, because when we, it's, it's one thing to ignorantly go against wisdom. To do things that are not wise because you don't know any better. And I'm not saying that that's good. I'm just saying that that's, that's, that's in one category by itself. Because what do, you, what, what do you know? When you don't know anything, you're, you're, you're just bumbling around and you're bumping into the walls. And you're, you're figuring things out. And so you're still kind of learning, hopefully. But groping your way through life in the dark. But when we know better, when, he, when we have received good and godly counsel from the Word of God, from the Spirit of God, or perhaps from a minister appointed over us, okay? I don't like putting that in there because it always sounds self-serving, at least in my ears, but that's not my intention, okay? When we go against, when we willingly, knowingly go against wisdom, and go against instruction, and go against godly counsel. We're really setting ourselves up for a hard fall. And we're ensuring that we're going to have to learn something the hard way. It's going to hit you going to hit you full in the face. And then, so, and, and then they get mad 
sometimes at the one who tried to instruct. It's like, hey, hey, we tried, right? And prayed, watered it with prayer, watered it with counsel, watered it with meditation, watered it with more prayer. But the question I guess we're going to put forth tonight, do we want to be wise in the Lord? Or do we want to be the fool? Do we want to be wise and hear the words of wisdom and hear the words of counsel and of godly instruction? Or do we, we, do we want to be the one that goes against it and then gets punched by life square in the nose? I've been there. I've been punched by, in, in the nose by life and experience. I don't think anybody's ever punched me in the nose in real life. As believers, as Christians, we ought to want to be the wise man. Because the wise man, listen to this, the wise man learns from the experiences of others. Amen? You see, well, I'll use myself as an example, okay? Not as being wise, but myself as an example of what I'm about to, to use as an example. I have an older brother. I have one older brother. Six years my senior. Lives back in Omaha, still trying to drag him out here for a visit. And it just doesn't ever happen. But who knows? Maybe it will eventually. Growing up, I watched him take all the reckless gambles. I watched him dive in headfirst into situations that I looked at it like, I don't know if that's such a good idea, but I watched him do it. I watched him take all the falls. I watched him take all the spills. I watched him learn all the lessons the hard way. And what did I do? Well, from the safe distance of being six years younger than him, I made notes. Don't do what he just did. Don't do what he just did there. Don't get into a shouting match with mom. You might get water thrown in your face. That actually happened once, only once. That's as bad as it ever got in our house as far as um, dysfunctionality really was concerned. That's about as bad as it ever got. But I watched and I learned from his example. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. It's funny, I, I don't remember any of the good examples, but I sure remember some of the bad ones, you know. Don't, uh, don't hop over a dry, splintery wooden fence with bald sneakers. You know, just let your imagination fill that in. He spent two or three hours in the emergency room having splinters picked out of his leg. I watched him. I learned him. I learned from the experience of others. Brothers and sisters, do thou likewise. And the first, the first examples that we learn from that way The nation of Israel, Old Testament, the things they went through, the things that befell them when they went against godly counsel and the law of God and wisdom, when they went against what they knew was right, when they went against what they knew was good. And it burned them and it burned them over and over again. And over and over again. And so we as believers, it's like, well, well if, if we live in the New Testament and we're, uh, we're Christians and we're not under the law of Moses, why do we even bother having or studying the Old Testament? So that we can learn from them. 
When they did right, how God would open the windows of heaven and pour out tremendous blessings upon His people. And there, was, there were wonderful things going on in, in, uh, in, in the nation of Israel and of Judah and among God's people and all of that. And how when they would turn their hearts away from God and they would go down a dark path, if they did not stop and turn around and get their act together, then things would go bad and then they would go worse than bad and then they would get by degrees all the way down through horrible to completely devastating. And that culminated in the Babylonian captivity, which I think we were preaching about. Was it just this last Sunday? I think we were in it again talking about it. And and it was and yes, they were able to continue. And yes, if if anyone here tonight has been a fool in the past, that's the thing. God gives wisdom. Listen to this. Let this sink down very deep. Let this, let this shine in our hearts and minds as a, a ray of hope if we have been anything less than wise in the past. If we've even been full-blown foolish in the past and we've, we've hit our heads against the same brick walls over and over again. God gives wisdom as a gift. He gives it. He gives it. Was it? Are we in James with that, aren't we? We're, we're there where James said, if any, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who giveth to all men liberally and check this out and upbraideth not. It means he doesn't even jack you up about it while he's giving you wisdom. We'll say, well, how does he give me wisdom? Is it the same way that he doesn't give me virtue, which is, you know, dropping a, dropping an Amazon box on my head, for, you know, from, from the sky with a box full of wisdom? No. He gives us wisdom by giving us the capacity to learn it, to understand it, and to exercise it. He gives us wisdom by exposing us to wise teachers, wise people. All right. He exposes us to people who are wise if we seek out the wise. Amen. The Bible even tells us to do that. I think in one place, it might even be, it might even be in a, in a book of dubious origin, but it talks about how embrace discipline. That's a good thing to do because that creates a scaffolding for your life that then uh, stands up of its own without the need of scaffolding. It creates good habits. Okay. But it says embrace discipline. And he talks about seeking out the counsel of wise people. He says, let your feet wear away at their door. Camp out on the doorstep. This, metaphorically speaking, I'm not saying go homeless and camp out on somebody's doorstep. You understand what I'm saying. Seek the company of the wise because the Bible does tell us. And this does come straight from the word of God. Those who walk with the wise will be wise. Those who walk with the wise will be wise. The flip side of that is it's a, it's an old American proverb that says, you know, if you run with horse thieves, then how does it end? You're going to hang with them or swing with them or something like that. Something like that. Or you end up becoming a horse thief. You run with horse thieves, you become a horse thief. But likewise, if you walk with the wise, you can be wise because you'll have their example. And some of them, listen, some of them learned wisdom the hard way. And sometimes the hard way is the, is the way that, it, that, it, that we learn it the deepest. And it almost writes itself into our DNA. That's not to say that it's always the best way to learn. That guy that, that, guy that uh, 
That guy that's doing 20 to life for vehicular homicide because he was drunk when he was driving. Well, learn from his experience. Learn from his experience. Don't find yourself in that position yourself. That's just one extreme example. But there are so many others throughout our lives. So what's the study tonight? Well, let's just take it all right here from verse 7 of chapter 1. And then we'll close. I'll, I'll go back into this right here in, in verse 10 of chapter 2 in just a second. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Brothers and sisters, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. He is on high and we are on the earth. He knows everything. And we know only what we've perceived through our very, very narrow vision of the world and of life itself. Fear the Lord. It's the beginning of knowledge. And don't be the fool. Don't be the fool. Don't despise wisdom. Don't despise instruction. Well, it kicked my pride. Well, that's fine. Pride needs to die anyway. Life is so much easier when you're not proud. When you're just okay being who you are. I'm not saying always being what you are. Okay, let God make you and always work on you and improve you and always cooperate. But don't despise instruction. And now we'll go ahead and finish by going back to our, by our go back to our springboard text. Go over to chapter two. And let's read in verse 10 again. When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee. Understanding shall keep thee. Now he gives examples in the verses that follow, and I don't want to get into that because we need to wrap up for tonight, but perhaps be at the will of the Lord. We may pick up on this next week. We may be back in Matthew next week. We may be back in our regular Bible study. We'll see. We'll see what the Lord wants. But this, these first two verses of that statement, when wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, then discretion will preserve you and understanding will keep you. It'll keep me what? It'll keep you in the way of God. It'll keep you safe. It'll keep you on the right track where life Work, family, money, jobs. I already said that. Work. Where every aspect of your life is concerned. Brothers, sisters, love wisdom. And love the Lord. And love instruction. It's to preserve us and to help us to grow. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash giving